0: appreciate Penny and Maddie and Roy and Jackie leading us in worship this Lord's Day. As we come now to our time in the Word together, if you'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And if you've been with us in recent weeks, you know that we are walking through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel together. And as we've started our walk and been walking through these first four chapters, uh, one of the central figures in the first four chapters of 1 Samuel is Eli, the priest of God at Shiloh. In fact, apart from the Lord himself, uh, the name that we read the most in the first four chapters of 1 Samuel is that of Eli. He's a central figure as we consider uh, what's taking place, especially as we lead up to uh, the ministry that, first, that Samuel himself will have uh, leading to the establishment of kings over the people of Israel. Uh, but today we find that those mentions of Eli uh, come to a pretty abrupt end with his death. And it's not just his death we read about. We also read uh, about a birth. We read about Ichabod being born. And uh, from both the, the death of Eli and the birth of Ichabod, uh, we can draw some conclusions and some things that I think can help us to understand of what it looks like to walk with the Lord uh, in our world today and the importance of finishing well the race that, God, that God has set before us. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, beginning there in verse 12. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able, if you would stand once more. As I read his word to us, remembering this is the holy inspired word uh, that has been handed down to us in the church It is profitable for us today in our prayers that God might use it in our lives. And so let's look to 1 Samuel 4, beginning there in verse 12. Following the battle where the Philistines had conquered the Israelites and captured the ark, this is what takes place. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see and the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel was fled before the Philistines. And there's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. If you will, pray with me. Father, as we consider this text this morning, this this is a dark moment in the life of your people. The, The death of Eli, the birth of Ichabod, they are reminders to us, Lord, of what it truly looks like for your glory to depart your people. We pray, Father God, this morning that you might help us to learn from this word, that we could rightly repent and trust in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. While we've had many interruptions and frustrations during this time of COVID and of quarantine, one of the positives, I believe, that's come out of it is the time that families have spent together. Perhaps you found yourself playing a few more Uh, Card games or board games or gathering together as a family. I know that that we have, many families have. And one of those games that maybe you've gotten around is a rather old game called the Game of Life. Uh, The Game of Life is actually the the first board game that that we have on record as being invented. It actually goes back to a game really that predates board games uh, that was called the New Game of Life. It goes all the way back to the 1700s. The new game of life focused on virtues. The more virtuous you were, the faster you moved through this game. And vices. The more vices you had, the more it slowed you down. This game was played by families and parents were encouraged to use it to teach their children about life. In fact, the purpose was this. Life is a voyage that begins at birth and ends at death. God is at the helm and your reward lies beyond the grave. Well, that adaptation would change over the years. In fact, in 1860, a man named Milton Bradley would take that game and adapt it and call it the checked game of life. And now things like honesty and bravery would move you faster. Idleness and disgrace would slow you down. Game players sought to win wealth and success. The purpose now of that game was... To be, quote, a highly moral game that encourages children to lead exemplary lives and entertains both old and young with the spirit of friendly competition. Of course, the game of life has changed over the years. By the time 1960 came around, it was started to be called the game of life. It sold 35 million copies, but now there were no more vices or virtues. The goal was simply to win money, to buy furniture, to grow a family. The winner was the one with the most money at the end of the game. That game's been revised even more over the years. In 1990, there was no more family, just game players now. Less about money and more about saving endangered species and solving pollution problems. Cash prizes are still awarded. The winner's whoever has the most money at the end of the game. But of course, that has changed even more in recent years. In the last decade, the Game of Life underwent another revision, And now players can do whatever they want and get rewarded for it. And so you get the same uh, reward if you donate a kidney as you do if you go scuba diving. Uh, There's no last square. There's no end. You can stop the game whenever you want. And the purpose is, quote, to do whatever it takes to retire in style. You can see that the transition there in that game from, from an eternal perspective to a very temporal one, from leaving a legacy at the end of your life to pretending that life has no end and simply living in the moment. But that's just a game, right? No, this game is a reflection on our culture. And sadly, it represents so many in the church today. Because so many in our churches... So many Christians have stopped living our lives with the end in sight, with a focus on finishing the race well. And we have before us an example of one of those in our text today. As we consider the way that Eli's life ended, we are reminded of the importance of finishing our race well. So we're going to talk about two things this morning, uh, two lessons that we learn: one from Eli's death and another from Ichabod's birth. And so we'll begin by looking at Eli's death, which we see is marked by a failure to finish well. We come to this point where uh, the enemies of Israel have conquered them. You remember from our study last Lord's Day uh, that they had a a superstitious spirituality. Uh, They had been conquered by their enemies. 4,000 had died. And so their plan was, well, if we just take the ark of God out in front of us, if we can harness the power of God, then surely we'll be victorious. But of course, God does not answer to rabbit foot religion or good luck charms. And so as they take the ark out before them, uh, now not only are 4,000 killed, 30,000 are killed. The sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they are killed as God said they would be. And the ark of God is captured. And so a messenger, we read, verse 12, comes from the battlefield to give a report to the Israelites about what's taken place. And there we have this picture of Eli, old fat and blind sitting and waiting to hear news and so of course he can't see what's taking place but he hears what's taking place and he hears the people of Israel crying out as they hear the news of the defeat on the battlefield as they hear about the ark of God being captured he calls the messenger over to him the scripture tells us in verse 13 his heart was trembling for the ark of God it was fearful you see, Eli is a high priest, a priest there in Shiloh. He, he bore a responsibility for the temple. He, he bore a responsibility for the ark. He, he held the ark in high regard. We don't know whether that was out of reverence or out of rabbit foot religion like others, but we know that he was fearful something would happen to it. And he feared for good reason because something did happen. And the messenger comes and reports to not only the people, but now to Eli about what took place. He tells him about the death of his sons, which would not have been a shock to him, for God had told him that they would die, and Samuel had told him the word from the Lord that they would die. But then he hears the news about the ark. And we read in verse 18, As soon as this messenger mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy, And he had judged Israel for 40 years. And so ends the story of Eli's life. We don't know much about how Eli started. Scripture doesn't tell us these details. We know that he was a judge over the people of Israel. We know that God gave his people the judges, as we read earlier in Judges, in order to give them his word, in order to bring repentance among the people. And so Eli was one of these judges, one of these priests that God had put over his people. We don't know much about him during those early years. We know these were dark times for the people of Israel. We don't know what his early ministry looked like. We don't know how he started his race but we know how he finished it. And he didn't finish well. In fact, his death is marked by a failure to finish well. And we've seen already in our study his failure as a father. He failed to properly rebuke his sons for their wickedness and their worthlessness. And here we're reminded of his failure to protect the ark of God. But from being used as a superstitious token to harness God's power. And now this picture of him. Old, blind, and fat. and the news of his son's death and the ark's capture, he falls backward off his seat and he breaks his neck. And this is what is the epitaph on his life. He didn't finish well. Which should bring the question to all of our minds. How will we finish our race? What will be the last word about our lives? And we are encouraged as followers of Jesus to, to run with the end in mind. And not just to focus on the start of the race or the middle of the race or wherever we're at in the race today. But to look towards the finish line. Now if you were with us in our study of Hebrews, you'll remember that this picture we're given in the book of Hebrews. That we are running a race through an arena, arena and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are calling out to us. Press on, press on, press on and finish well. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The picture we have here, friends, is that as we run our race of faith today, we we are to look to Jesus. And as we suffer and as we struggle, we are to look to Jesus. And as we grow weary in our race and as we are overwhelmed by life and as we are surrounded by the wickedness and the lostness of the world, we, we are to look to Jesus that we might finish our race well. But sadly, many do not. I want to ask you this morning to think about the people that you've seen walk the aisle in this church. Get baptized here at Bloomfield Baptist. But they're not here or at any other church this Lord's Day. And it has nothing to do with COVID-19. Think about people that you've seen who've started the race strong. Maybe they lined up with you at your beginning of your race. Maybe they were running full speed. Maybe they were ahead of you and you were just trying to catch up to them. But where are they today? They're not even on the track anymore. They're not running the race. Think about those who went on mission trips with you and were in Sunday school classes with you and maybe led Bible studies with you. And today, where are they? Over time, they faded away. There's no fire for their walk with the Lord. And friends, this happens all the time, and it is tragic. It is tragic to watch someone not finish the race well or not finish the race at all. And Eli's death is a reminder to us of this, that the race of faith isn't so much about how you start, the race of faith is about how you finish. So, so how can we finish well? <laughs> How do we protect ourselves from becoming an illustration? How do we protect ourselves from becoming the first person that pops in someone's mind when I ask that question 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now? How can we finish well? Well, I believe fundamentally it comes down to this. We need to understand that we never graduate from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't ever graduate from that. Many of your families and surely... I know my family, we've experienced a lot of graduations in recent days. We had a a daughter that graduated from high school, Vivian. We moved her into a boys college there at Southern Seminaries campus uh, just over the weekend. We have a son, Parker, who's finishing up at WKU. He'll be graduating in December. We have others that'll graduate in the coming years. And Lord willing, one day I'll graduate from my doctorate that I've been doing for 14 years now. We think about graduating as an accomplishment of the completion of a learning cycle. We've studied, we've learned, we've taken the test, we've read the books, and now we're finished. And we have this award, this degree that says we've graduated. We can move on to the next thing. But what we need to understand is that in the Christian life, there's no next thing. And then the next thing is heaven. That's the graduation We don't graduate this side of eternity from being a disciple of Jesus. We are in this school for life. And our desire should be to grow in our understanding in this school that we stay in. Because this is the mark of who truly is a Christian. Who truly is a disciple. It's those who stay in this school. We read in 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know. That we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So how do we finish well? We keep our eyes on Jesus. And we keep learning from Jesus. We never age out of that. We never grow beyond our need for that. We need to stay in his word. We need to stay in his church. We need to stay surrounded by his people. We need to listen and we need to learn and we need to run the race with endurance that he has set before us. And by God's grace and his mercy and his power, we'll finish this race better than Eli did. Eli's death is marked here by a failure to finish well, but this passage doesn't just mention death, it mentions life. And so now we transition into the next section where we read about the birth of Eli's grandson, Ichabod. And from Ichabod's birth, we see in it that it's marked by God's glory departing Israel. His birth is marked by God's glory departing Israel. And so the, the, the context that we're giving here is that the widow of Phinehas is about to give birth. Now we know that Phinehas and Hophni were wicked men. We, we don't know really anything about his wife, his widow here. We don't even know her name. We just know that she's pregnant and she's going to give birth. And it seems that this is rather traumatic because it's happening as she hears the news of her husband's death and her father-in-law's death and her brother-in-law's death. And then she hears the news of the Ark of Israel being captured. And again, we don't know if she's looking to that as just this superstitious token or if she truly understands what it represents. But either way, this is traumatic. And that combined with the birth of this child takes the life from her. In fact, we read that she is going to die through this process. And so the women that are surrounding her in childbirth are trying to give her some type of comfort. They're telling her that, that, that you're having a son. This would have been a, a, a great a, a pride normally in this context for a mother to hear about the birth of her son. She would be excited. She would be prideful. And yet the scripture says here that she doesn't even listen. She's so overwhelmed with the weight of what's taking place among the life of God's people and in her own personal life in this moment. Some of us show that before she dies, She just simply names her son Ichabod. Ichabod. Ichabod translated literally is a question. It's where is the glory? And we get more context of that as we read verse 21. And she named the child Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel. And so she's naming her son, this name, to represent the, the, the people of Israel. And asking this question, where's the glory gone? Because surely God's glory has left us. The people are defeated. The ark is captured. Woe to us. Where has the glory gone? The glory is departed from Israel says, because the ark of God had been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So you think about in our context today, how births are normally marked. When you think about the birth of your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. We, we've had several exciting things happen in the life of our church recently. The birth of children... how do we mark those things? I've not yet seen the Facebook post that said, uh, Dear friends and family, our grandson was born today. Woe to us. (laughs) That comes later, maybe. but Not in the birth. No, we're excited. We put signs in the yard. We put balloons on the door. We're so excited. We have all this joy. That's what birth is supposed to bring with it. But not with Ichabod. Now Ichabod's birth is marked by God's glory departing Israel. These were dark, dark days in Israel marked by people who did not honor the Lord or trust in his word. That they traded in walking by faith for rabbit foot religion. That they turned from the Lord. And the scariest part of that is then the Lord turned from them. And the name Ichabod was written, not just on that child, but on that entire nation. What a tragic event. And yet the sad reality is this is an event that has happened time and time again. And we are surrounded by it and reminders of it even today. We live among churches that have Ichabod written all over them. We live among buildings that have Ichabod written all over them, where churches no longer meet and gather. I saw a headline just this last November from the Boston Herald. It read this, Closed churches become condos, dollar tree, and hockey rinks. That article chronicled how 70 churches had recently closed their doors and now have become prime real estate for condos and Dollar Trees, and hockey rinks. A number of years ago we were in Cincinnati, our daughter was having surgery there, and we were there for a number of days, so I was looking for something to eat other than the hospital cafeteria food, and went nearby to the campus of a university there, right downtown Cincinnati, near the hospital, and I saw this this large building very very quickly could tell this was a a magnificent church building that had been built uh, probably well over 100 years ago, maybe 200 years ago. The architecture was magnificent. And as I was looking at this building, the lights came on in it and I saw sale signs and shirt racks. It was now a Gap or Old Navy or something like that. And Ichabod was written all over it it's not just written over churches that close. We have churches that are still gathering and yet they have Ichabod written on them. Whatever truth of God's word they once stood on has been abandoned. And they preach a false gospel and they endure sin rather than expose it. And they love the world more than the word. And they go by all sorts of names. But the name that the Lord has written on these places is Ichabod. And friends, I want to ask you, what's going to keep us from having Ichabod written on Bloomfield Baptist Church one day? What's going to keep us from following so many others who've done this very thing? Churches that once stood on the truth of God's word, but that truth's nowhere to be proclaimed today. And they are Ichabod. What will keep us from this fate? It's not a hard answer. But it is. We have to stay grounded in the word, friends. This is principle and this is foundational. And we cannot drift from it. We cannot walk from it. We can't go an inch away from it. And when the word is in conflict with the world, then the word must prevail. And if we will not stand with it, woe to us. And we will follow the fate of these other Ichabods. We need to take hard stands and say no to the culture. Friends, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We are a people, Southern Baptists, who were once known for our evangelistic zeal in telling a lost world about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We are evangelistic today, but so often about the wrong things. We have no lack of telling others what we think or believe. We do it all the time. But we haven't kept the main thing the main thing. And so we might be zealous about our political views. We might be outgoing about our stands on all kinds of issues. But we've lost our passion for evangelism and sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are surrounded by an ever-darkening world that needs the light of the gospel. And we have covered it with so many other things that we're evangelistic about. And if there's hope for us today, and if there's hope for other churches today, not to have Ichabod written across our marquees, it's to reclaim this evangelistic zeal and passion and go to a lost and dying world and tell them about the hope that's offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that saved me, and it's the gospel that saved so many of you. And friends, it is the gospel that can save anyone. That's the good news. And what a great thing it is to share it. But if we don't, I believe we will suffer the same fate as so many others have. We're reminded in this passage, I think Phineas' widow was right to a degree. God's glory had departed Israel The people had turned from the Lord and he had turned from the people. But here's the good news. The name Ichabod wasn't written on them in permanent marker. Because God was about to do a great work among his people. He was raising up Samuel as a judge and a priest and a prophet. And he was going to use Samuel to raise up David. And ultimately, he was using David to point his people to Emmanuel, from Ichabod to Emmanuel. There was good news coming. It's a reminder to us that the sovereign hand of God had not left his people, that there was a remnant among them, that the greatest days for God's people were ahead of them. And, friends, we need that reminder today. We live in dark days. But God has not forgotten us or abandoned us. And by his grace, he's not written Ichabod on us yet. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, he's written a name on you. And that name is Emmanuel because you are covered by his blood. And he has called you and I to run the race with our eyes on our Emmanuel, with our eyes on Jesus So that whatever may come and whatever may befall us, we can sing It Is Well. Because our focus isn't on this world. Our focus is on Christ. And so we're going to take a moment today to do that. We're going to sing It Is Well. But before we sing, I want us to take a moment just to respond to God's word. And really to prepare to sing this. And I want to challenge you. Don't sing it's well if it's not. (laughs) And friends, if you're not covered by the blood of Jesus today, it doesn't matter what your status in life is. It doesn't matter what material things you have. It's not well for you. Your soul is in danger. And the grace and mercy of God is available for you today because God's word clearly says to us this. That while we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory, and while the wages of our sin is death, that God has demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He's called us to confess Jesus as Lord, and to believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And if we will do this, He will write in permanent marker on us the name Emmanuel. And He will cover us. And that doesn't mean that life will be easy or life will be perfect. Your hardest days may be ahead of you. But it means that you will finish the race through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that your greatest days are in front of you in a new heaven and a new earth. And that is why you can sing, It is well. But if you've not done that, If you've not turned and trusted in Jesus, then perhaps as we who have sing this song, perhaps you need to take time to pray and to consider the race that you're in and how it's going to end. perhaps this is the moment where God's word says to us clearly, today is the day of salvation. Friend, this might be that day for you. Call on him, confess him, and trust in him. And then join us as we sing the chorus. It is well. If you would stand together as I pray for us and as we prepare to sing. (coughs) Father, I thank you that on a very personal level, I, I can sing it as well with my soul today. Not because I haven't suffered, not because life is perfect. Not because I don't have hardships, but I can sing it as well because Emmanuel's name is written on my heart. And because of that, it is well. Because of that, I have hope. Because of that, I can look to the finish line. Because of that, I, I can trust that through the power of your Holy Spirit, I might finish well. Lord, I don't know what's in the heart of every person here this morning, but I, I pray, Lord that your name's written over their heart as well. And for those who've not experienced that yet, Lord, I pray they would repent and would trust in Jesus. And and Lord, I pray for your hand to be on Bloomfield Baptist Church. I pray that we would not see a day in the history and the life of our church when Ichabod would be written on us. I pray, God, that your word would always be foundational to this pulpit. And I pray, God, that before I would vary from it, that you would take the very life from me and that you would do the same for anybody who would attempt to come up here and preach the word of man and not the word of God. Help us to be a people who stand on the truth of your word that we might finish well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.